Hey, good morning, C3. It is great to see you this morning. We are in the second week of a series called Unique. And the reason we're doing this series, if you were not here last week or maybe this morning's your first time, you're checking out C3, this is a series that's all about you. Because the scriptures not only teach us how to know God in a deeply personal way, they also teach us how to know ourselves. In fact, when Jesus was asked, hey, can you boil this whole thing down? What's the bottom line? He said very clearly, it's to love God and love others. And then he said, the second commandment's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's to be expected that in church, we would talk about what it looks like to love our neighbor, but we focus a lot on that, and we rarely consider what it is to love ourselves. And for some of us, that's difficult because if we're honest, you may not really know you. We spend so much time in our culture trying to think like everybody else, be like everybody else, or at least be in a silo with people that are like me. And we live in these silos and we, we conform to what other people think we should be, what a mom looks like, what a dad looks like, what a human being looks like, what a student looks like, what a career person looks like. We have all these molds that we try to fit into. And I think there are many people that live their entire lives never really figuring out, who am I really? And so throughout this series, each week, there's going to be a phone number on the bottom of the screen. It's going to be this number right here, but it's going to be on the lower part of the screen throughout the message each week. And if you have a question during the sermon, during the message while while we're talking, uh, feel free to text that in. This afternoon, I've got growth track. I'm going right after that to film for about 10 minutes. And and what I try to do each week is answer the most common questions. And so if you have a question, feel free uh, to text this number during the message And then I'll take the most common ones, and I'll answer those. And that video will go up tonight. Uh, If you're connected with me on social media, I'll I'll put that up. Somebody will put that up for me when that's going to go live, usually 7 or 8 o'clock on on Sunday night. But that's just to kind of help further, because we want to do everything we can in this series to resource you, to resource me to live the lives God created us to live. And so if there are things that several of you are thinking about that I, don't, that I don't address or I didn't think about, I want to touch on those subjects. A little over a year ago, I came across a tool called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram, some of you are familiar with it, in certain places around our nation, it is hot. I mean, like everybody knows about it. But the Enneagram is an ancient tool. It's hundreds and hundreds of years old. It was designed by a Christian monk and some other Christian monks, and basically Ennea means nine and nine and gram means written, like telegram. So it's nine points written down on a sheet of paper, nine different types of people, and all of them are founded in the scriptures. Now, this is deeper than a personality test. This is not Strength Finder 2.0. This is not Myers-Briggs. This goes much deeper than what is your personality. In fact, I think the Enneagram may be perhaps the best tool I've ever seen better than any of that or caliper, any of that, to really understand a couple of things. Not only who you are, but why you do what you do. What is the motivation behind what you do? And why is it that you see an event a certain way and I see the same event from an entirely different perspective? Why is it that we process what we see differently? And why is it that we often don't even recognize how we're presenting ourselves to other people? Uh, some people, most often, you, you have no idea what it's like to be on the other side of you. I have no idea what it's like to be on the other side of me, except for my bride and kids. They fill me in. They fill me in, which is awesome because that's a growth opportunity. So that's what we're really looking for as we're beginning this new year and a brand new decade. 
as I was praying through it, I said, okay, God, what, what would help people? What could we do that would add value to people's lives more than anything else? What, what could we do that in this new year, in this, this new decade, would spur on our personal growth like nothing else we've ever done? And so we're rolling through the nine different types on the Enneagram, and we're looking at a biblical story each week uh, of some people in the Bible that, that had that type that we're talking about that week. Last week, we talked about type one, the reformer. The reformer is the person that sees the world the way it should be and makes the world a better place. The, the, the reformer is the person that sees what, what needs to be done or what's missing and that they're never really fully satisfied. That There's this craving for we can do that better, we can make that better. And so they help change things in a very positive way. And each week we're talking about, hey, if you are a number one, there's a healthy way to function and there's an unhealthy way to function and we need to be aware of that. How do we grow and make sure that we're being healthy? And the cool thing about it, you may not be a number one, but you may be married to a a number one or you may be, if you're not married and you're dating and dating to a number one, you may have kids that are a one, uh, you may have close friends that are a one. So this is going to help you know you better. It's also going to help you know the people that you're connected with relationally better. It's going to enhance your relationships. Today we're talking about number two, which is the helper. Number two is the helper. Now, if you're a Christ follower and you've been maturing in your faith, you you know how much scripture talks about how we're supposed to serve others and love others. Remember what Jesus said, love God, love others, love your neighbors yourself. And so it will be very easy if you've been a Christ follower sometime, as we talk about this to think, oh, I'm a two, I've got to be a two, I'm a two. Somebody told me last week after the message, I think I'm a one, but next week I'll probably think I'm a two. (laughs) And so we have some resources on our website, and don't miss this. Again, we're just trying to resource you. You can go to c3church.cc slash uyou-neek, and on that page there are all kinds of resources. There's a free test that you can walk through online that will give you some guidance on, hey, here's probably your number. Each week we're going to be talking about that. There are also links to each number, one through nine, that will tell you a little bit more about the person when they function in their health, when they function in their weakness. Uh, there's books recommended there if you, if you like reading and learning and growing personally. Or maybe you haven't, but in a new year, new decade, man, you want to grow. There's some books there, The Road Back to You. Or there's also a book uh, that will enhance and help your marriage where you understand each other's number. There's some books there. There's also, there's also a playlist where, like, Today, you're number two. There's a song written for number twos. So we've got the links to all that on this webpage. I, I, I want to encourage you, man, get the most out of this series and take advantage of those resources. But today, the number two is the helper. Now, one thing I didn't do last week that I, that I meant to do, and I want to do each week, is we're going to walk through a, a story in Scripture, a biblical passage. But I also want to let you know some people, if you're a two, there are also a two that you've heard of, some people in society and culture. So let me go back to the ones. If you're a one, uh, we looked at the passage last week of the, the two brothers, the two sons. It's been called the prodigal son, but really the dad had two sons, Luke chapter 15. But there are a couple of people that are also ones. Mahatma Gandhi was a one. Nelson Mandela was a one. It's people that just see the world and see how it could be better, and they're going to do everything they can to make it better. So number twos, if you're a two, if you're a helper... Some people that were also twos, Princess Diana, John Travolta, and Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo, we're not talking about the halftime show. I'm just telling you, she's a two. She's a two. I'm just letting you know that. Information from you. And I'm giving you three of them because maybe if you don't like one or two, maybe there's somebody you can kind of grab hold of. Okay, I respect that one. I like that one. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. But notice Luke chapter 10. The Bible says as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
Now, if you've ever studied the Bible, you know that in this passage, what's going to happen is Martha has a sister named Mary. And Martha is consumed with cooking the meal and getting everything ready while, Je- while Mary is spending time at the feet of Jesus listening and learning to what he has to say. And so there's this conflict between these two sisters while one is busy getting ready. And, and if you're new to church, we're going to walk through the story and you're going to get it all. But if you grew up in church, I grew up in church and often I heard messages where Martha was slammed. But have you ever thought about this? Martha opened her home to him. Martha opened her home to Jesus. What would you do if you found out today Jesus was coming to lunch at your house? What would you do? You'd probably slip out right out. Some of you, there's some stuff you need to get out the house. And you can't just put it in the trash can. You've got to take it to the dump. And if they're closed, you're jumping over a fence. You're burning something in the back. Like, if Jesus is coming today to your house to have lunch. Like, but she was fully prepared in the decision she's made and how she was making. Oh, Jesus is coming over. Awesome. I need to prepare the meal. She was ready. But twos, there's a healthy way to function, just like every other number, and there's an unhealthy way to function. So if you're a two, if you're a helper, notice this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Hey, twos, if you're not careful, you can get easily distracted. By all the stuff that needs to be done. Guests are coming. People are coming. By the way, if Jesus is coming to your house for lunch, what are you cooking? Like you're not going through Taco Bell on the way home. No, I don't know that Jesus can even bless that. That's not, that, Jesus, please bless this food. He's like, nope, nope, nope. Can't do it. Sorry. Not even food. I don't even know what you're eating right there. But what do you fix if Jesus is coming over? So I, I understand Martha being consumed. This is Jesus. And he's coming to her house, and he's going to want to eat, and you've got to fix a meal. So she's, she's distracted by all the preparations. Martha is a two that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, twos, when you're functioning in an unhealthy way, if you're a Christ follower, you actually believe you need to help God out. You see all that needs to be done. Now think about this. Martha is approaching Jesus. Mary is sitting at his feet listening to his teaching. And Martha's like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I know you're the son of God. I know the world hangs in the balance just because you spoke it into existence. I know you're busy making sure the sun keeps us warm enough and the moon keeps us cool enough. And the earth is rotating on an axis where we don't get so hot that we burn or so cold that we free. I know you got a lot on your hands, but I've noticed something you may have missed. There's this girl, Mary, and you need to tell her, let let me help you. I know you're busy, Jesus. Let me help you. Mary needs to get off her behind and do something that makes a difference. Now, here's something else that's fascinating to me about this passage. Ladies, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, which did not happen in that culture. If you lived back in that day in that culture, do you know where you got your college degree? University of nowhere. You were not allowed to go to school. In fact, in that culture as a lady, in that culture, your only value was attached to who your dad was, who your husband was, or who your brother was. You were viewed as property. And one of the amazing things about Jesus in that culture, he says, no, 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 no. Women can sit here and listen right among the men. Women are just as valuable. Women have an incredible place and make an incredible difference. Nothing 
No one has ever done as much to elevate women as Jesus did. He didn't say you have to walk so many feet behind and cover yourself up while he wears shorts. He didn't say there's some things you can do, but, but most things you can't do. You can't lead. You can't make that. He never says that because Jesus knows, ladies, you are so much more emotionally intelligent. You are so much, thank you. You are so, yes. Yes, it's true. It's true. You are so much more connected. Guys, we're, we're sort of fragmented. We can deal with one thing at a time. We can multitask maybe if there's two, but everything's fragmented for us, and we, we move from this to this. Ladies, it, it's all up in there like spaghetti. You're, you're doing it all at the same time, and you have the ability to do it well. And, and Scripture says that we are, men, women, we are all created in God's image. There is not a less than. So it doesn't matter what your gender is, what your race is, what your bank account says, or how big your house is. You are just as valuable to a holy God as anybody else. So I I don't want you to miss what's happening in this passage and how it's confronting culture. Even then, Jesus says, Mary, sit right here among the guys. I want to pour into you just as much as I'm pouring into them. But Martha, tell her to help me. Twos, that's what you do if you're not careful, if you're functioning in an unhealthy way. Especially twos, if you're a Christ follower and you serve at C3, you're ticked at people who don't. Hey, Jesus, you see everything going on at this church. You see how God's bringing more and more people. And I'm, I'm busting my tail. I show up early to help set up. I come on Saturdays and help set up. I come early Sunday morning, help set up. I stay and tear down. And I'm serving in the baby room or I'm, I'm serving in a doorway. And I look, I, I, I look at that. Fa- they walk in that family every week and they just sit down. They don't do jack. Jesus, you need to tell them. You need to put some stuff up in their life that messes with their priorities. And you need to help them understand they need to get here. They, they need to get here early. They need to serve on the parking team. In fact, nobody needs to drive. Nobody drive. We all are going to serve on the parking team. Everybody gets a yellow vest, walk to church, and help guests that are coming park. There'll be a few people parking every week because we have first-time guests, 30 or 40 every week. So we're going to help that. Nobody drive. That, that, that's If you function in an unhealthy way, you live a life where you resent people God loves. And you forget the fact that we're not all in the same place. And you have no idea what someone else is walking through. And notice how Jesus corrects her. This is funny to me. Martha, Martha. I picture Jesus right here with a smile on his face. Because he loves Mary, but he also loves Martha. Twos, even when you're functioning in an unhealthy way, you are just as loved by God. But... If you're willing to hear it, and you've got to be willing to hear it, and you've got to be willing to grow, nobody can make that decision for you. Jesus is going to communicate some things. And what I notice about Jesus is he says, if you read your New Testament, Jesus said some hard things, but he always said them in compassionate ways. The only time Jesus gets to the edge of punching people in the throat are highly religious people. I mean, he turns over tables, cracks a whip. I mean, he, he gets angry with highly religious people. But people walking through day-to-day life that aren't so pious in their religion, just normal people, extreme compassion. I mean, she's jacked up in her thinking, but Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not helpful. It's just there's something better, and it will not be taken away from her. Hey, twos, you can get so wrapped up in preparing that you miss enjoying. If you're a two, and you're throwing a party at your house, 
The problem is not the preparation or the cleanup afterwards. You're good at that. You dive into that. The problem is what happens between preparing and cleanup where you have to interact with people. You, you don't know what to do because you're not great at intimacy. And so you, you push back to that. You can't go around with handy wipes and wipe people down that come to your party. You, there's a law against that. Don't do that. You can't do that. So the preparation, man, you're on. And the cleanup, you got it. And you stress the crap out of everybody that lives with you getting ready for the preparation. Because you're in the kitchen, and if they're sitting down, maybe not at the feet of Jesus, but at the feet of the Dallas Cowboys, can't wait till August. But, but if, you're, if, if you're not doing what, every, if everybody's not doing what you think they should be doing, you are going to wig out on people. And not only will you not enjoy the party, neither will the people you're closest to. They call you a party pooper. There's an emoji for you. It's in your phone. So twos. <laughs> I didn't say that first service. I don't know where that came from. Twos. So, so what's the upside if you're functioning in a healthy way? Twos, what do you bring to the table that nobody else does? You reflect God's heart for serving. Man, you get it. You see needs that, that others of us do not even see. You recognize things that could be done to help people. You notice when people have needs, not only in the church, in the community. You, you see things, and you are a world changer because you go to work to, to address the needs of people. And you reflect God's heart for serving. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you're supposed to be serving whether you're a two or not. In fact, do you realize in all the New Testament, out of all of the references to church, only two of them speak to the universal church that we're all a part of as Christ followers. Every other reference is to the local church. And serving in the local church, the local church is such a big deal that Jesus calls it his bride. It cracks me up when people are like, I love Jesus, I just don't like church. If you told me, man, I like you, I just don't like your bride, I'll punch you in the throat. If you don't like my bride, I've got nothing for you. I'm just being honest. So, so how do you think God feels when we say, man, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for saving me. I'm not going to do jack squat for your bride. I'm not going to help what you say is the hope of the world in the community. I'm not doing that. I love you, but I don't care about your church. I, and when I do go, I'm just going to come in and sit and take up a seat, and I'm not, I'm not doing anything else. So whether you're a two or not, Scripture says that you and I together make up what's called the body of Christ, Jesus on earth. And if you're not serving in the church you're a part of, and if you're a guest, please don't feel obligated. I mean, you're probably going to become a part of C3 because you're smart, you're above average, that's who comes here because it's the greatest church in the world. So you're probably going to join the team. But, but if you haven't made that decision yet, you don't need to feel obligated. But if you're a part of C3, and the full extent of you being engaged in this spiritual family is to show up and leave, and we wouldn't even miss you if you never came back because you don't do jack, give jack, pray jack, invite jack. You don't do squat but take up space. How do you live with that when the Son of God died for you and you say he transformed your life? Now, here's something else you need to know. Some of you are very uncomfortable right now. Okay, a lot of you. <laughs> I love you no matter what you do here. Because your value is not based on what you do here. Your value is based on you're a child of the living God. But I have a responsibility as your pastor or potential pastor, if you're a guest, to take you where you need to go, not just where you want to go.
And part of, part of what's been missing in your life, new year, new decade, man, take some responsibility. If you're not serving, you're swerving. If you're a Christ follower and you're not connected with a local church, you need to be engaged and involved and a part of making a difference in the community. And that's not showing up and attending. Rant over. Reflect God's heart for serving. That's what twos do. Now, all of us do that when we serve, but twos do that better than anybody. What's the core motivation of a two? To feel loved. You, you crave. It, it, it's a drive in you, the core motivation. You want to feel loved. Now, again, all of us do, but, but you have a unique depth and level to this. You, you need to feel loved, and your inner need is to be needed. Now, this is where if you're functioning in an unhealthy way, it can bring some trouble. Because if your inner need is to be needed, and you're a mom, and you spend all those years serving little Johnny and helping him know how amazing he is, and as he's growing up, you make his lunches, he goes to college, you send shipments of those pre-made meals so he doesn't have to worry about it, you, you, you take care of everything. But when he's done and he leaves your house, you have no idea who you are. Because your entire value has been based on the fact that somebody needed you who now doesn't need you. Don't you need me? Mom, I'm 40. I got it. I'm married. I'm married. My bride is now the number one lady in my life. And it should be that way. See, moms who crave feeling needed and function in an unhealthy way have an amazing job of destroying the marriages of their sons. Sir, if your value is based, if you're a two... And, and you get this out of whack and you, you, you crave being needed, you can function in such an unhealthy way that, that one day when they tell you you have to leave this office and not come back, you have to retire, you're going to go home having no idea who you are or what to do. Because you've based everything about your value on what you do. So I think we have to keep in mind your value has nothing to do with what you do. On your worst day where you don't check off everything on the list and you don't get it all done and you see needs that are not being met and and you had a bad day and you didn't meet him, you are no less loved by a holy God that invites you to call him Father. Your value is based on him. See, God didn't just create you for service. He created you for relationship. He he says to Martha, who's a two, who's worried about getting everything ready. I mean, think about this. Jesus, we know from Scripture on one occasion, fasted for 40 days. 40 days. I think he's going to be okay if the crock pot's an hour late. I think he's going to be all right. But Martha is so consumed with how she thinks it needs to be done and serving and what needs to be done and has no desire to sit at the feet of Jesus because that brings intimacy. And sometimes intimacy is uncomfortable. Sometimes in connecting with people, you realize things about yourself that are ugly things that are broken. Sometimes in our closest relationship, it it feels like it's unsafe and we feel a little bit vulnerable because in a marriage or with parents or children or siblings, listen, who knows better to push your buttons than your spouse or your kids? (laughs) I go through a Sunday and on about Tuesday, something happens in the home and one of the kids will be like, dad, you said Sunday that, uh..." and I say, shut up. And then they say, but dad, you said Sunday. (laughs) It's just like, who who knows better? Listen, God created us for relationship. And we grow the most in uncomfortable places. And if you're not willing to put yourself in relationship connected with people, then you're going to limit the growth that you could experience in this life. And we only get to do this one time. 
you're going to limit who God created you to be. The focus of twos is the needs of others. You're always thinking about the needs of others. So not only can you be physically exhausted because you volunteer at everything. You volunteer at church, you're on the PTO, you're, you're, you're the football dad, the football mom. You volunteer everywhere in the world. You make up stuff to volunteer to do because you just see needs and it's got to happen. And, and you focus so much on the needs of others. If you function in an unhealthy way, you can do that to the extreme to where you're not only physically exhausted, you are emotionally worn out. And when you're emotionally worn out because of everything you're doing and what you perceive that nobody else is doing, you resent people God loves. And you drive a wedge in relationships because you feel some kind of way about people. You don't act like, especially at church, they walk up, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? How are you? And inside you're thinking, you don't do a freaking thing around here. You smile. You make sure it's all good, but you're driving it home. You focus on the needs of others. Now, your core sin, your core sin is tough. If you're a two, your core sin is the hardest one to see. It's not one you see in a mirror. Last week we talked about ones. The core sin of a one is anger. We all see that. Even when you don't, I'm not angry. All right. But for twos, your core sin is pride. And you don't see pride in a mirror. In fact, we are all, whether you're two or not, we are all experts at rationalizing away, rationalizing away the sin of pride. We have excuses and reasons for how we are and how we think, but did you know Scripture says that pride is the one sin that God will oppose the person? So when you're wrestling with pride, you're wrestling with God, and He wins every time. What you avoid are your own needs. You avoid your own needs because, remember pride's the core sin? You avoid your own needs because you don't get any attention or praise for meeting your own needs. It's only when you do things that other people notice. It's only when you do that, oh, when they talk about you, she's always early, he always stays late, man, they do everything, they're dependable. Man, what you're doing for others, that gets noticed and you get the, but when you do stuff for you, nobody applauds. So you avoid your own needs, the greatest of which is spending time at the feet of Jesus to meet the needs of others. Your fear is being unworthy. You're afraid that somehow you're unworthy. You work and you serve and you try to be dependable and you try to do all the things and, and meet all the needs you see so that you can overcome that feeling of unworthiness in your life. And your underlying emotion is shame. I don't know how you grew up. I don't know what's happened in your life, but we all have baggage and there, there are areas that we're all broken and messed up. It's true of all of us. And, and often from growing up, our parents, even well-meaning, even good parents, contribute to some brokenness because we're all messed up. I know in our home, Angie and I have, uh, we have four kids, two daughters and two sons. The two daughters are married and have their own families now. The two sons are in college and live at home. And I, I know with our kids, I, I have contributed to some brokenness in their lives. I, I recognize that as a parent. And so some of the shame you may be carrying, you may have been carrying a long time. For example, because I know my kids so well, I know what they're afraid of. Kaylee, our oldest, is terrified of raccoons. So every now and then, I find a picture of a raccoon. If it's a gif and it's smiling or doing something funny, and I'll text that to her just so when she looks at the text and opens her phone, like just I'm, I'm trying to help her with that fear a little bit, and I think it's hilarious. I know it's messed up. It's messed up if you're a counselor, doctor, doctor. Like I, I know I'm messed up. 
My second daughter, she, her fear, she's afraid of huge trucks. So if we're on a road trip and there's a huge cement truck or uh, a huge 18-wheeler with log, you know, the big tree trucks, all that, I'll get beside him and just cruise at that speed. <laughs> just trying to help her because it's hilarious to me. Nate, Nate, our next, now Nate, this is so weird. Nate is terrified of lizards, not lizards, lizards. My man, there, there was a bobcat in the woods behind our house, and he's in the driveway looking for the bobcat. But you throw a lizard within five feet, he is screaming like a middle school girl and running the other direction. And then Ethan, our youngest, um, I didn't ask permission to talk about any of this with him. I probably should have. But I'm not going home for lunch today. I have growth tracks. It's going to be all right. Uh, Ethan, our youngest, bees and wasps. Oh, my goodness. So, so sometimes, like, if I see a new wasp nest forming on the back deck, I'll, I'll ask him to come out and help me move furniture or put together a chair. And when he notices it, when he notices, my man will call me from Texas in about 30 minutes because he just ran there. Like, it's crazy. Now, I know, I know. I'm messed up. I'm messed up. Why, why is that stuff funny to me? I have no idea. But it's hilarious. And, and so... I don't know what happened as you were growing up, but, but I know this. The things that create shame in our life are not lighthearted like what I just talked about. They're much deeper and much bigger. And when you're functioning in an unhealthy way as a two, you're trying to outperform your shame. You're trying to convince God and yourself that you're good enough. I want to encourage you this morning let yourself off the hook. There's a God who sent his son to do everything necessary on a bloody, cruel cross to take care of anything that's happened to you or anything that you've done to yourself when you feel shame. It has been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, you don't have to carry that kind of shame. Now, there's something else I, I, I need to say. The last 40 years or so in our culture, I think we've done a great disservice to our children and to each other. Because we live in a culture that says, you should never feel ashamed of anything. And that's BS. Bible study, Bible study. You get it from Bible study. Shame is not a bad thing to feel. There are some things that I do that I should be ashamed of. There are some things I should feel bad about. And if we coddle people in such a way, especially our children, that we tell them, you should never feel shame. You should never feel bad. It's okay, honey. It's your truth. What kind of crap is that? There's one truth. One truth. That's it. One truth. You don't get to decide the sky's purple when it's blue. You, you don't get to do that. Like there is a reality. There is a truth. And so, but shame is often a tool, sometimes scripturally or biblically, it's called conviction. When God convicts me of something wrong in my life, it's not so that I beat myself up and wallow in guilt and live there the rest of my life. It's to point me in the direction of, man, I do need God. God, I did mess up here. Please forgive me. Please help me. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. Conviction and shame can be one of the greatest tools in my life and feeling bad about stuff I should feel bad about to drive me back to Christ and be connected with him in relationship. Stop running from shame and embrace it. Feel bad about what you should feel bad about, but don't stay there. Go sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary and say, Lord, teach me, help me, forgive me. I need you. I can't do it on my own. 
See, if you're a two and you're functioning in an unhealthy way, you don't need to change your serving. You just need to change why you serve. Don't, don't serve for the applause of people. Serve because you love Jesus and you love what Jesus loves. So it's good to serve God and serve my family. That, that's a good thing. Serving is something we should do. I, I, I serve my family. I'm not a two. I'm not a two at all. I'm not a two. I help wash dishes in my home, not because I'm a two, but because I love my wife and I love my kids and I want to stay married. That's why I do dishes. If you're a man, I, I don't do dishes. That's not what I do. There's a word for you. It's called divorced. That, that's, that's your word. Listen, I, I take out the trash, not because I just love the smell of rotten food. Let's go, ooh, deep breath. Wow. That, that's, no, I do that because I love my family. When you love what God loves, you serve what, what God says serve. So when you love God, you love the local church, you serve in the local church, you make a difference in the community, not because you love doing it or have enough time. You, you're calling the church, email the church, man, I've got all this time on my hands. I, I have nothing to do. Could y'all give me something to do? People that make the biggest difference in the life of C3 are some of the busiest people in the world. The difference is they make it a priority to love God and love others. You make excuses. Two people. That's awesome. Two people. Clap. It's good to serve God in my family, but I must also spend time with God in my family. You've got to spend time. You've got to make a difference. So students, look for ways to serve, yes, but, but dads, let, let, let me say this, dads, your lawn's meticulous to you. You, you chase that sign they're going to put in the front yard that says lawn of the month, and nobody likes you, but you do it, man. The grass is meticulous. There's not anything hanging over the side. My next door neighbor, if you're here, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk to you about this anyway. Yesterday, their lawn people drove all through my grass, left mud all over the driveway. I'm looking at the security cameras, trying to get the license plate of the truck. We're going to have a conversation this afternoon in, in, in Jesus' name. I'm going, to love, I'm going to be nice. But they destroyed half my yard, and we're going to have a conversation. It's not their fault, but that lawn company, they, they need to go out of business or meet Jesus. And so I'm going to help them do one of those things. But dads, listen. Your kids will grow up remembering you got yard of the month. They will tell stories to their kids about it one day, but it won't impress them. Because what they need more than yard of the month is they need dad of the moment. They need your presence and your time. It won't matter how nice your lawn was, but you do it if, if you're a two and you're functioning in an, unhe- in an unhealthy way, you do it because remember, intimacy is a little awkward, so I'm going to go cut the lawn. I'm not going to have the conversation about sex with my kids. I'm going to let them hear it at school because I got to go do the lawn, and that's just awkward. How do you talk to kids about that? I have no idea. I don't know. If you're going to talk to your kids about sex, here's what you say. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> C3 kids. If you have kids fifth grade and younger, at C3, we connect with kids on a level where they can understand about Jesus. You would not send your fourth grader to college freshman English. They need to be in C3 kids where they learn to connect with Jesus on their level. They just do. So you're serving and you're making a difference. That's awesome. But good things can get in the way of a relationship. He didn't say, Martha, what you're doing is bad. He just said, Mary's chosen what's better. Yes, things have to be prepared. Yes, there are things to do. There's always things to do. The dust will be in your home again next week. The lawn will need to be cut again next week. The dishes, they're going to get dirty again because people you love eat off of them. Now, yeah, we can can train our kids. We can help our kids. Kids, you need to serve in the home. Just like as Christ followers need to serve in the church, kids need to serve in the home. I, I, I don't know if your kids do this, but 
we know that the trash needs to be taken out when you can't get the bag out of the canister anymore. And I've watched my kids, your kids may not be like, I've watched my kids approach the trash can in the kitchen. I I bought, I went on Amazon and bought the biggest size you can buy for the kitchen. Extra large trash bags, they're in there. And and sometimes I I just pay a little bit of attention and I notice my kids will walk to a trash can where the trash is piling up, overflowing, and they will take what they have and try to place it on top like a puzzle, like we're building something and we're going to call it art and sell it for a lot of money. Maybe if it didn't smell the way it smelled. And I'm thinking, what, what do you think is going to happen? I often say to my kids, I'll walk up and say, hey, we fired the butler. you got to take that out. We've never had a butler. <laughs> but, but I just like, who do you think is going to do this? We serve because we love people. I don't know why. What am I talking about? Obadiah. <laughs> oh, it's therapy. I'm working through some issues. Obadiah chapter 1. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Two is you can be deceived by a heart where you think the world needs you. And you think God needs you. And you think your spouse and your kids need, no, your spouse and your kid love you. Kids love you. And God loves you. But, hey, student, do, do you really think there are parents that say, man, you know what we need around here? We need another teenager. We need somebody that's going to come eat some of this food, leave the dishes in their room, create a man. We, we need another one of those. They don't need you. They love you. Need? <laughs> they love you. So Jesus didn't come just to save us from wrong things we do. He also came to save us from the right things we do for the wrong reasons. Jesus didn't just come to save us from the wrong things we do. He came to save us from the right things we do for the wrong reason. So if you're a two, functioning in a a healthy way, recognize this. Who I am comes from God's love, not from what I do. Your value is because you are loved by a holy God. Now, very quickly, uh, I want to do this each week. I didn't do this last week, but I got some questions about it, so I tried to answer it on the video. By the way, that number, texting questions, I'll make that video this afternoon. It'll be up tonight. How do you love a two? If your spouse is a two, if your kids are a two, if your parents are two, how do you love them? Notice them and thank them for their service. Have you discovered the power of appreciation? I'm not talking about fake. I'm talking about genuine, authentic appreciation. See, twos serve because, remember, they want to be loved. So when you notice it, see, families can wear twos out by just letting you do everything and taking you for granted. When you notice it, make it a point to notice it. Be observant and thank them, a genuine thanks. Now, they want to be loved, and they're serving, and that's how they express their love because they're taking care of needs around the house. But when that happens, when you notice it and thank them, you're speaking their language. They feel it. And then when somebody's not in your home, not a spouse, not a child, not a parent, how do you love a two that you're friends with or you're connected with? Invite them over when you don't need something done. Call them when you don't need something. Are there people who, when you see them on your phone, are, are there people who, when they, they call or text, before you answer, before you read the text, you know, oh, they must be moving again. Only time they call you is to help them move. Listen, when you value people, you don't use people. When you value people, you have them over so Together, you can sit at the feet of Jesus. How do we do that? We, we study the Word of God. We talk about what God's doing in our lives. We, we learn from each other in this spiritual journey, this thing called life. We're part of a spiritual family, a church. That's really what we are, a spiritual family. And so we connect with people. And yes, there are people that have amazing skills. There will people that you, you will call. If, if I need to sell my home, there's a realtor. He goes to C3. I've used him for years. I, I know who I'm calling. But I don't want to just call him when I need to sell my, my home. 
If I need to buy furniture, there's a guy I've used at Ashley Furniture for like 30 years. But you know, I'll just text him occasionally. He's not, he's not a Christ follower yet. I'm praying one day he comes here. But what do you think he'd think of me if the only time I talked to him was when I need something from him? So invite them over when you don't need something done. Love people authentically. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for the reality of your truth. Thank you for your love for each and every person in this room. And God, I pray for twos this morning, for the helpers. Father, they do so much. They make such a difference in the church, in the community, in life, in their homes, with their families. And so often, Father, we are guilty of neglecting and not appreciating them. Help us to be better at that. Help them to be blessed and and to find their purpose in serving is out of a love for you and a love for others, that they're they're already loved. There's nothing they could do for you to love them any less or any more. I pray you'd bless them this week. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you know the greatest need in your life, even more than discovering what kind of person you are, the greatest need in your life is to know God in a personal way, to be forgiven of your sin. I've been forgiven of my sin and I'm so grateful. You're in a room full of people that have committed their lives to Christ and said, yes, God, said yes to the, the offer that Jesus makes of eternal life and forgiveness of sin, to the offer he makes of the Spirit of God coming to live inside you in this life, because you can never be the man or woman or young person you'd love to be until you first begin a personal, intimate relationship with the living Son of God. So this morning, if, if you'd like to take that step of faith, I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, you just pray this prayer. You just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Jesus, please help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. 